Hey friends, welcome back to The Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm your host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. We're continuing our Advent series looking at the music of Christmas, and today we're talking about the song, O Holy Night. The word holy means set apart or sacred. It talks about how God is set apart from us because he is so pure and perfect and majestic. But then when God enters our lives, when we become believers, we become his holy people. And wherever his presence goes becomes a holy place. So that when Jesus was born in the manger, that became a holy night. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message, O Holy Night. Back in 1847, in a small town in France, a man named Placide Capo de Roquemar was known more for his talent at writing poetry than for his faithfulness in church attendance. He might not be the first person one would suspect a priest would seek out to write a poem for Christmas Mass. But the priest did ask him, and the man took his request seriously. Rochmauer began thinking about the birth of Jesus. With that inspiration, he wrote Cantique de Noel. He was so pleased with how the poem came out that he decided it needed to be a song. Since he was a poet but not a musician, he turned to a friend, Adolf Charles Adams, to see if he would set his poem to music. Adolf was a famous classical musician who had composed many works all around the world. And he agreed to come up with the music for his friend's poem. The interesting thing was that Adolf was a Jewish man who did not celebrate the birth of Jesus. Even so, he did compose music to go with the beautiful words and the song was performed for the first time just a few weeks later at a midnight mass on Christmas Eve. Cantique de Noël became popular in France and was sung in many Christmas services. But when Placide Capo de Roquemaure completely left the church to join a socialist movement, and it was discovered that Adolf Adams was a Jew, the French Catholic church leaders decided Cantique de Noël was unfit for church services because of its lack of musical taste and total absence of the spirit of religion. Even though the church no longer allowed the song in their services, the French people continued to sing it. A decade later, an American writer, John Sullivan Dwight, saw something in the song that moved him beyond the story of the birth of Christ. An abolitionist, Dwight strongly identified with the lines of the third verse. 
Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. This verse mirrored Dwight's view of slavery in the South. <clears throat> he published his English translation of O Holy Night in his magazine, and the song quickly found favor in America, especially in the North during the Civil War. Back in France, the song continued to be banned by the church for almost two decades. While the people still sang Cantique de Noel at home, legend has it that on Christmas Eve 1871, in the midst of fierce fighting between the armies of Germany and France during the Franco-Prussian War, a French soldier suddenly jumped out of his muddy trench. Both sides stared at the seemingly crazed man who lifted his eyes to the heavens and began singing Cantique de Noel. Then a German soldier stepped into the open and answered the Frenchman's song with Martin Luther's From Heaven Above to Earth I Come. The story goes that the fighting stopped for the next 24 hours, while the men on both sides <clears throat> observed a temporary peace in honor of Christmas Day. Perhaps this story had a part in the French church once again embracing Cantique de Noel in its Advent and Christmas services. <clears throat> O Holy Night has three verses. <clears throat> Verse one says, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. <clears throat> oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. <clears throat> Verse 2 says, led by the light of faith, serenely beaming. With glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here come the wise men from Orient land. <clears throat> the king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be a friend. He knows our need, to our weakness no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Behold your king, your king, before him bend. Verse 3 says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, <clears throat> and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother, 
and in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, then ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. This story is a reflection on the holiness of the night of Christ's birth and our response to it. Jesus was born because our world is in sin and we are pining in our errors. His birth brings the hope that we need, and because of that, our weary world rejoices. Because of this, a new day has dawned. We fall on our knees and we hear the angel voices. The light of the star that led the wise men to Jesus who knows your need and who is your strength, no stranger to your weakness. He came to teach us to love one another. He can break the chains of sin that keep pulling us down and he can crack the oppression of our world. Because of this, we praise him and give thanks for the holy night on which he was born. The song revolves around the holiness of God. The word holy refers to something that is set apart for a sacred purpose. God is holy because he is separate from us. It refers to God's purity and his perfection. It refers to his beauty and his majesty. <clears throat> It refers to his love and grandeur that overwhelm us. Our response to God's holiness is to say, wow. We are struck with awe and we fall to our knees to worship him. The reason no one has ever seen God is because we could not handle that level of goodness, awesomeness, and purity. In Genesis 2-3, in the creation story, it says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on that day he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The Sabbath day is holy because it is set apart for rest and for the worship of God. In Exodus 3, 5, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush in the desert, God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Holiness refers to something that is separated from the normal. The ground that Moses was standing on was special. It was special because God was present in a unique way and Moses was encountering him in a manner he never had before. Holiness means that there is an essential difference between us and God. Moses recognized that because God is holy, he has special rights to determine the sanctity of the place where he is present. 
Holiness refers to the awe, dread, unapproachability, vitality, and mystery of God. Thus, the Israelites would see a difference between the sacred and the secular, between the sacred and the profane. People knew their place in relation to the holy. When confronted with something other than themselves, the immediate response was fear mixed with fascination. Whenever people encounter angels in the Bible, their initial response is always one of fear. And the first words out of the angels' mouths are always, do not fear. In the Christmas story in Luke 10, when the angel appears to the shepherds, he says, do not fear, for I bring you tidings of great joy. This is because angels reflect some of the glory and holiness of God. It is because they have been set aside for sacred purposes. And when our eyes are open to see it, it's so good and pure and perfect that it's scary because we realize we are not those things. God's holiness does not appear in destructive ways, but in ways that humble us and make us aware that we are not worthy. Everything in the Old Testament begins and ends with the holiness of God. In the New Testament, this emphasis is not lost, but expanded. Holiness is the moral excellence of God. When we believe in Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit within us and he passes his holy nature onto us, making us his holy people. <clears throat> so in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 1, 4, 13, and 18, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So as Christians, we now become holy because God's holy nature is now in us and because he has set us apart to do something special in the world. God chose you even before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, which you are. We are God's holy people right now. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. 
We are called to live holy lives that are in the world, but not of the world. We have been set aside for God's special purposes in the world. <clears throat> in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God chose every single one of us to be a part of the royal priesthood. You are a part of God's special possession and his holy nation because he has called us out of the darkness of this world into his marvelous light. And then in Revelation 3, 7 and 4, 8, John writes, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. This picture of heaven is that there are creatures who are so moved by the overpowering presence of God that they can never stop declaring the holiness of God. God is so holy and so powerful that when he opens a door, nobody can shut it. So when we sing, O Holy Night, we are singing about the holiness of God and how he sets apart certain people, places, and things to shine his holiness and his goodness into our world. On Christmas Eve 1906, Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old university professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Fessenden spoke into a microphone. And for the very first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. He began in a strong, clear voice, hoping he was reaching across the distances. Shocked radio operators on ships and astonished wireless owners at newspapers were amazed as their normal coded impulses heard over tiny speakers were interrupted by a professor reading the Christmas story. To those who caught this broadcast, it must have seemed like a miracle to hear a voice somehow transmitted to those far away. Fessenden was probably unaware of the sensation he was causing on ships and in offices. 
He couldn't have known that men and women were rushing to their wireless units to catch this Christmas Eve miracle. After finishing his recitation of the birth of Christ, Fessenden picked up his violin and played O Holy Night, the very first song ever sent through the air via radio waves. Since O Holy Night was first sung at a small Christmas mass in 1847, the song has been sung millions of times in churches in every corner of the world. And since the moment a handful of people first heard it played over the radio, the carol has gone on to become one of the most recorded and played spiritual songs. This incredible work was requested by a forgotten parish priest, written by a poet who would later split from the church, and given soaring music by a Jewish composer. Then it was brought to America to serve as much as a tool to spotlight the sinful nature of slavery as to tell the birth of a savior. It has become one of the most beautiful, inspired pieces of music ever created. The Lord can work in amazing ways to proclaim his word. This year, as we celebrate Christmas, O Holy Night once again reminds us of the holiness of God. God is set apart from us because he is pure, perfect, and powerful. He is morally excellent, and standing next to him, we are struck by how we are not. His love and his grace overwhelm us. His presence made the earth that Moses stood on at the burning bush holy ground. The presence of Jesus in the manger made the night of his birth a holy night. And the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives makes us God's holy people. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. God bless. Stay safe. See you next time.